You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, we are beginning to near the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. I've enjoyed the, the series and so many things is that we have talked about as a church that they just had some issues. Uh, you know, in the medical world, they would have been that kind of critically care patient in the, you know, in the ER that just had everything going on. And Paul is trying to help them, to help them understand, get some things squared away. And he's, he's hitting the last topic this morning, and he's talking about the resurrection. And it seems to me that he kind of saved the biggest one for last because he's having to go all the way back to the very basics and say, look, guys, how in the world is it possible that some of you say there really is no resurrection? We're going to talk more about that next week. But in the process of explaining it, he gets very simple and very basic and very clear about what the gospel is all about. So we're going to talk about this morning about the glorious gospel. It's the very center of our faith, the fact that Jesus came and that he died for our sins, a perfect sacrifice, he was buried and he rose again. It's the very core of our faith. It's the, 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 the very thing, if you will, that we believe, that we surrender our life to Jesus because of that. And it's what changes our life. It's the very center of the whole Bible. People will often say, well, Sean, I try to read the Bible and understand it's a big book and lots of things going on. Listen, this is the, today is the very most just clearest form of that. Some of you guys in the room are maybe not so much thinkers as you are feelers. You know, you're kind of the, the creative, you know, type. You're more about the aesthetics kind of thing. Other of you are more, no, I got to analyze and figure stuff out. So if you're the feeling type and you're trying to understand the gospel, you need to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you see the stories, you see it in action. If you're the thinking type, you need to look at the book of Romans and Galatians because it drill, dives in and analyzes and, and looks at all the specific aspects of it. Today, it doesn't matter what you are because Paul, in a very just a five simple verses, tells us clearly what the gospel is. So take your Bible, if you will, and look with me in 1 Corinthians 15 at the, the glorious gospel that, that the God of heaven has given us the greatest thing that we could be thankful for this Thanksgiving season, and that is of sending his own son Jesus to die a death for us that we deserve to die, but stood in our place when he took our penalty of punishment for all the wrongs that we've done so that you and I might be able to live by faith, might, might live through faith as we trust Him and surrender our life to Him. So I'm going to do something a little, we don't often do this here, we've done it a couple of times. You know how when you go to a wedding, you're supposed to stand when the bride comes in? I've never been around when the president comes in, you're supposed to rise. Uh, I was on a jury once, and I think, you know, here's the honorable whatever, and you're supposed to rise. So, so we're reading God's word this morning. It's literally as if God himself is speaking to us. So I'm going to ask that you stand in honor of us reading God's word, and especially because not only is it God's word, but it's the word about what is the most precious thing that he has done and his very character about the gospel. So read with me, if you would, 1 Corinthians 5, or chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, big if, you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He gives us then the, the detail of the gospel. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. 
Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Number two, that He was buried. And number three, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You may be seated. We'll finish up the other verses as we talk along through that. Christ died for our sin according to the Bible. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Bible. That is what the Gospel is all about. I want you to notice just a few things this morning about it. First, I want you to notice that Jesus and the gospel are inseparable. You can't talk about either one without the other. You can't separate out the person of Jesus Christ from the gospel any more than you could talk about heat apart from the sun or the sun apart from heat. I looked up, you know, Wikipedia knows everything. I think Wikipedia is a genius. I don't know who really is behind it. I don't know if you can believe it all or not, but I did enough research to know that I really, it's way too complicated to know how hot the sun is. Just know this, supposedly at the outside, it's like maybe 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and at the center of the sun, which I really don't know how they know this, because it's not like anybody's been there to stick a thermometer in it, and how do you really know unless you can kind of do a lot of high-end math? So I really am a little skeptical, but let's just say it's millions and millions of degrees Fahrenheit is everybody's best guess. So it's hot, right? You can't talk, heat comes from the sun. You can't separate out. If you're talking about the sun, you're talking about heat and light that it produces and other stuff as well. It's just like Jesus. You cannot really talk about Jesus without talking about the gospel. The two are completely together. So what that means is if you're in a church that talks about faith kind of generically or talks about God generically, that's, that's a good start, but that is far from the finishing point. You see, it's not enough. It's not enough to even just mention the name about Jesus. We have to focus on the gospel. It's all about the fact that Jesus has come and died on the cross for our sins. We're to be centered our life upon Jesus, to be, we're to follow him. And so the gospel is all about that. Second thing I want you to notice, the gospel is not just inseparable from Jesus. If you're looking for a church, and, and you go to that church and you get halfway the service and you've not heard the name of Jesus mentioned somewhere in song or in preaching and they're not opening the Bible, may I suggest to you, you need to go to another church. And then not only that, even if they do talk about Jesus, but if they're not talking about the gospel, then they're missing what it's all about. The two things are together. But the second thing I want you to notice is that the gospel is about what Jesus did, not about what we do. Look what Paul says. He says, for I delivered to you of first importance. He's like, look, Paul spent over a year in Corinth. He spent more time there than most other places that he was there. And he says, look, here's the first thing that I was talking to you about. This is not a secondary, third level, fourth or fifth level matter of importance. This is first priority, first level of importance. And Jesus goes on to explain to us what that gospel is, the, the good news, the, the good message, the fantastic message. He says, it is this, Christ died for our sins, He was buried, and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Notice that it's about what Jesus did, not about what we do. Isn't it so easy in the matters of religion and faith to make it about what we do? Isn't it easy to make it about all of the stuff that, that 
we do to maybe make God happy or to make ourselves accepted with God? Isn't it? You know, people will say, well, Sean, I have lots of faith. And suddenly, if we're not careful, we put all of the emphasis on where we are and we lose subtly the emphasis that it's really all about what Jesus has already done 2,000 years ago. The gospel is all about uh, what he has done for us, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, a seal, a testament, if you will, as he was laid in that tomb and that big stone was rolled over it and Caesar had his, his seal placed upon that tomb. In other words, no one was allowed to break in or change that up without the threat of, of all that Caesar would bring upon them. And then three days later, God rolled the stone back to reveal that he didn't need Caesar's permission for a resurrection, that as the Lord of this universe that he raised from the dead himself, that God in heaven raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's about what he has done, not what we've done. Now I want you to, to notice here, some people today are skeptical about the Bible. Well, how do we know that, you know, it wasn't changed and all these things and it was written so long ago? And really, we really are going to say that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, really? You know, I've been to a lot of funerals, Sean. I've never seen anybody get up out of the casket. Really, isn't that kind of a fanciful thing to believe? Fairy tales and myths and come on, in a scientific world, you should know better than that. You know, you, gotta, you should know way better than that, Sean. Well, I want you to notice two levels that are very significant of why we should believe this gospel this morning. Notice what he says, very significant. Notice that both the death and the resurrection of Jesus was predicted in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, you remember the story of, of Philip and the, the man from Ethiopia? He was a, a, a very a man that was high up and a ranking official in the, the uh, court of, of uh, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia at the time. And he's reading in a chariot as he's making his way from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And he has an Isaiah scroll, which would have been a ridiculously expensive amount of money. And he's reading and he's reading in the book of Isaiah. This won't be on your screen, but, I'm, but I want you to listen to these verses. Here's what he's reading. And think about the prediction. This was written 700 years before Jesus rose from the dead. Listen to this. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. But this was a mortal wound. He was crushed, the Bible says, for our iniquities. In other words, he died for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement. If you get chastised as a kid, you never enjoy that, right? I don't, get like, I don't like getting chastised as an adult. The chastisement of us was put on him and it was that which brought us peace the bible says and with his stripes think about the beatings and lashings of jesus we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to his own way in other words we've done our own thing and the lord laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that's before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain, he didn't whine. 
all of us would have, he took it for you and for me. And by oppression and a judgment, he was taken away, the Bible says. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Talking about Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who took and buried his body. Although he had done no violence, he was innocent, perfect, and there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And we could continue on. That was written 700 years before Jesus died on the cross. May I submit to you, there's never been a person in all of history, anywhere in the world, that was willing to do that. There's been a lot of amazing people that have lived in this world. A lot of religions are built around many of those people. But nobody has done that. There is no other person other than Jesus Christ that could even come close to fulfilling the multiple prophecies in that one chapter. 700 years before Jesus was crucified, this was written. So that's obviously something going on here that is not natural, that is truly supernatural. You know what's interesting? There was a shepherd boy in the 1950s that was uh, tending goats. We have goats that live next door to our house. Now that the leaves are down, we can see them. They're funny. And uh, just to watch them. And uh, the best thing about goats is having somebody else that has goats. So you don't have to take care of them. You can just kind of watch them, you know. And, uh, but they have playhouses out there, like kids, little kids' playhouses, and the goats will climb on top of everything. So I don't know why, but they like to climb, right? And, and this shepherd boy had goats, and apparently he climbed up, they climbed up into the cliffs, and there's a bunch of caves, and he was trying to get them down. And like any lazy boy that we all would have done, instead of going up there and getting the goats out of there, he threw rocks up there, thinking for sure that would, you know, get them to come down. And instead of hearing, you know, a rock bounce around the, the, the rock walls, he heard the smashing of clay pots, clay jars. Well, come to find, lo and behold, there were hundreds of copies of the Bible and other writings that were hundreds of years old, hidden and stored in there about the time of Jesus. So they had been sitting in there for almost 2,000 years that nobody had ever known. Apparently, they were high up. Here's why I'm telling you this story. Sean, what does this story have to do with the gospel? Here's what's really amazing. They found that a complete entire copy of the book of Isaiah that I just read from you, and it was a thousand years older than other, in any other previous copy ever written. And when they compared those copies, you know what they found? Oh, the one that we have today that's a thousand years newer is identical to the one that's a thousand years older. Nobody was changing the words in there at all. And not only that, but that copy of the book of Isaiah was 200 years older than when, G when it was written, than when Jesus died. All of it was a clear prediction, not a manufacturer of somebody. So that's case point number one, why we should believe the gospel in treason. Case point number two, look at all the witnesses. I've got to find 1 Corinthians again. Look at all the people that saw Jesus. He says in, in, he says in verse 5, so after he rose accordance with the scriptures, look what verse 5 says. And that he appeared to Cephas, if you've got notes, right, Peter, that's who that's talking about. Then to the twelve, talking about the apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. They've passed away, we would say, they died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Do you know that science, while it is very helpful, doesn't prove everything? In fact, there's very little that science really can prove in the grand scheme of things. Science is terrible at proving history. In fact, it really doesn't help you with proving history at all. Uh, but something that we use all the time regularly to prove history, that something actually happened, and that is eyewitnesses. I promise you, if there is a police officer who is arresting someone and they have 500 witnesses that sees somebody commit a crime, they're feeling pretty good about their case. I promise you they're thinking, you know, this is pretty much a slam dunk. Every jury that's going to have 500 witnesses, 500 people, they're going to say, we know this absolutely happened. I want you to get the significance of this. Paul is writing this letter in Corinthians about 30 years, maybe 40 years after Jesus was crucified. So the time of his writing, he's like, yeah, there's over 500 people right now alive who actually saw Jesus' firsthand eyewitness account. They saw it. They saw it with their own eyes. This letter was circulated. It was popular. It, we think, if we're not careful, we get a little smug and arrogant. Well, we've got TV today. Well, whoopee-hoo. We've got Bluetooth, you know. I've got Wi-Fi. I can look and I can watch YouTube anytime I want. And I can Snapchat. And we think that we're a little smarter and a little more sophisticated, more sophisticated than previous generations. Can I tell you, they had quality controls about news and information in that day, too. You had access to all that was going on. Do we not think that if somebody was pulling a cover-up within 30 years of something of this magnitude, somebody rising from the dead, don't we think that those people would have said, uh, no, it didn't happen that way? Put it in context. About 30 years ago, 32 years ago, I remember I was ate lunch downstairs in high school, and it was my senior year, and I headed up the stairs, and I, took, I turned to the right, top of the third floor of B Building in Torrington High School in Connecticut, and I headed to Miss Chagru's Latin class. It was my third year of Latin. I've only ever studied dead languages. I don't know why. It's not smart. They're useless to anybody that know anything. And I remember sitting in that class, hearing the news that the space shuttle had blown up. And that was the first space shuttle. So for our, my generation that didn't grow up with Vietnam going on, and we didn't have other kind of wars going on, and we didn't have 9-11 happening, that was a big deal. Now, if somebody today would be writing something like, yeah, that never happened, don't we think that there would be a bunch of people, don't listen to that conspiracy theorist idiot on the internet, like you shouldn't believe everything you read, right? Absolutely. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It is reasonable to believe what Paul is telling us. We are thinking about the truths of what people who are alive that read this letter then. And we do it all the time. Anybody here ever meet Abraham Lincoln? Nope. George Washington? Nope. Anybody ever meet Bill Clinton? President Obama? President Bush? President Trump? No. How do we know any of those things, those people really exist? Well, I saw a video online. I think that's true. Yeah, we'll see how that works in the future. You can make videos say whatever you want, right? We're basing our understanding and our belief about what other people have told us, and we do it in every area of life. So let's recognize that we have lots of witnesses from a letter documenting very close to the time of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a done deal, folks. Jesus really did rise from the dead. We convict people all the time and put them behind bars and on death row with just one or two witnesses. 
And there's over 500. It's a historical fact. It's a historical reality. It's about what Jesus did, not about what we do, not about what went on today. It's about what actually happened 2,000 years ago. Third thing I want you to notice about the gospel. Not only is it about what Jesus did, not what we do, but it's also a message that we should receive. So think about it this way. Sometimes I ask people this. This is a good question. I'm glad that God doesn't ask this question when we get to heaven. There's no pop quizzes. There's no pass-fail like you die. Okay, you better get this question right, because if you don't, you know, it's the other place for you. I'm so glad it doesn't work that way. But uh, if it did, this would be like the question to ask. Sean, what's the gospel? If you can't get that right, then, you know, can you really believe in something you don't really understand? And there's kind of two parts to it. I usually get, I usually get the one side. Well, it's, it's what we believe. It's our faith about Jesus. That's true. There's a message that we need to receive, and that's my point number three. But there's also a historical fact. It's that Jesus died. He was buried and He rose again. That's the gospel, all right? So if there is a pop quiz in heaven, remember, you heard it today. The gospel is Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again. So it's a historical fact that happened, but it's a message that we need to receive. That we receive. That's what Paul says. He says, look, he says, I came to you and I preached to you. And this, you received it. Think about it this way. This is a message you needed to receive. It's like, it's like when you, somebody says, hey, you've got a phone call. You're receiving that phone call. You are willing to take time to receive that call. If somebody gives you advice and you're willing to receive that advice. One of my kids were asking me, Dad, do I need to get new tires for my car? You know, it's a good thing to check this time of year and snow. And I look, no, I think you're okay. They received that advice. No, I don't. They didn't buy it. When we receive something, we accept it as true, and we, take a, we make a decision. We, we alter our behavior, our actions, we, based upon that. The gospel is a message that we need to be received, that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. I need to not only believe that, I need to receive it. In fact, you really don't believe it unless you receive that into your life, and you base your life upon that, completely putting your trust into Jesus Christ. It's a message that we have to receive. And I want us to unpack this message just for a minute. Sean, I've heard about this. I know that Jesus died. Okay, well, let's look at this a little more closely. It's not that Jesus, just that Jesus died, but notice that He died for our sins. The average person in the U.S. today has no trouble of believing that Jesus came, has no trouble believing that Jesus died. They might say, well, I don't know if he really rose again. Maybe there was a big conspiracy theory or whatever, but we already talked about the evidence for that. But I want you to notice one little piece in here that we really do struggle with, all of us, that he died for our sins. See, oftentimes people like when they come to church or they get into a community or a group with a family like, like this because there's a joy, there, which there should be, a genuine, not a, not a mask. I want us to be careful as a church that we don't wear masks, uh, but a genuine joy. There's, a, there's something that that's, we want. But along the way, people have to be willing to recognize that there's a negative side, there's a dark side to themselves, and that is this idea of sin. 
You see, it's easy for us to believe that Jesus came and that he died. But where most people struggle with the gospel, from my perspective, it's not even the resurrection. It's actually their sin. I look at it this way. Our, we've got cats at home, you guys know. They love to go outside. I will tell you they have not been enjoying life these last few days with all the snow and ice. And they beg to go out in the morning. And we're good, responsible cat owners for the most part. You know, there's probably wild animals running around at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning, so we only let them to go out after it's nice and daylight, and those animals have gone to bed, and they're begging to go outside. Well, guess what happens now when we open the door? Oh, I, that, no, I, no, I don't want to go outside. They kind of, like, do one of these, you know. They're all excited, ready to go, like, this is going to be great. Like, ooh, that's a bad idea. Here's the deal. We're just like that as people. We want all of the benefit and the blessing, the joy and the peace and the grace and the love. But when we start, as we, and that attracts us to God, and it often attracts us to church. But then somebody begins to open the door, and we realize, oh, i got to deal with my sin? I don't want to deal with that. I don't like that. You see, we struggle as people to deal with our sin because... Very simply, tell it to a kid, it's why you feel bad when you're bad. I had a college student. This was before we had a lot of college students come. In fact, it was the first student that we were reaching out to. She was a student at Hudson Valley. I remember the day sitting there, and it was kind of a wake-up call to me. But, you know, here she was, I don't remember, probably 18 or so or 19. And as we were talking through the Bible and the gospel and talking about church, she kind of had a revelation, and she just said, Oh, is that why I feel bad when I do something wrong? And I was thinking, yeah, it's called conviction. Like she, nobody in her life had ever helped her to understand, you know, even as a little kid, these are why the feelings come up inside of you when even if somebody doesn't, if even if you don't get found out and get in trouble, there's an internal something inside of you that says, I've been bad. I've done wrong. See, the world around us, science can't explain it, and psychologists struggle with it, and they do a horrible job too. God is hardwired in each of us as a people that, that we know there's right and wrong in this world. The whole justice system of the entire world is based on it. Now, it can be a little messed up and is in, in places. It'll never be perfect, but that comes hardwired in our soul, and we don't like that. And especially if you've grown up in a family where your parents didn't deal well with that, if, one of two levels. If your parents kind of ignored that and only redirected you and never really confronted you and then confronted you in a healthy way, it's a struggle because you think that the world, like you don't know what to do with all of this just bad that you begin feeling and you want to run away with it. But then you also have trouble as if you've been you know, grew up in a family unit where your parents or whoever raised you was just, I mean, really over the top and just aggressively and you never knew if, you know, what was going to happen. You don't want to deal with that either because you struggle to think, well, I don't want to, I don't want to face God because maybe God, like subconsciously, this goes through your brain and your heart. You know, I, I don't want to face that. I, I just want God to love me. So here, here's where I'm headed with this. You and I, for the gospel to become real in our life, we have to pass through a gate. 
And it's a gate that we have to be willing to face. And it doesn't feel good initially, especially the first time we feel it. But we have to be willing to admit that we've sinned before holy God. And that God sees it. And that, we have to recognize that. Jesus didn't die just to be a nice guy. He didn't die just to be a model of what you know, life should be. That, hey, be sacrificial, be love, whatever. Hey, those, those verses I read earlier, those were... That's the punishment that you and I deserve that got put on Him. How would you feel if you did something really bad and watched your best friend pay for that? You'd feel awful. You'd feel terrible. Jesus died. He died because of all the junk that we've done. That's the first thing that we have to face after we begin accepting and realizing that God loves us is that we've sinned. And the second thing we have to face is to realize there's a penalty to that sin, and it's called death. Now, what usually happens in our lives, guys, is we're like the little kid that tries to cover up what we did. Oh, no, I messed something up, right? You know, the mark on the wall, and you see it half tried to clear up or whatever. We've all done that as kids. Thankfully, most of us have forgotten our little mess-ups. I don't know about you, but when I try to fix something the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth time, and it doesn't work... I get really frustrated. Do you? I do. I had a window that just the bottom windowsill on the outside was rotting, and I painted it, and it wasn't really rotting, rotting. It just wouldn't take paint, and it was kind of, you know, drying out and all of that. And the next year, same thing. And I hate painting with a purple passion. I do. I just, oh, I cannot stand painting. I go in and I go online, read, okay, oh, I got to sand it down a whole lot. Okay, I sand it, paint it. Guess what? Next year, same deal again. Third time, I'm just like, ah, oh, I can't stand these windows. I'm ready to rip them out. Well, finally, I just cut it all out and I put in some plastic wood and whatever. You can't tell the difference. And I manufacture all that. I'm like, done. You know, no more painting needed on this thing. We're done. Here's what we have to face that you and I are sinners and we can't fix this one. You know what the average person does when we first get confronted with our sin? Well, I'll, I'll fix it. I'll make it right. It won't ever happen again, I promise. We try to cover up and we try to hide or we try to fix it. And for the gospel to be real in your life, for faith to be meaningful, you got to stop that. You got to say, I can't, do, I can't be religious enough. Even if I could be Mother Teresa, it wouldn't be enough. I, I can't do it. I've got to trust that somebody else has done it for me. So the gospel is not just what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's a truth that you and I have to receive into our life and to put our full heart, trust, and assurance in that that is what saves us from our sin. That is what delivers us from death and hell. That is what gives us life forever with, in heaven with, with Him. It's simply trusting Him and surrendering, trusting to the level that we surrender to Him. That's what the gospel is. Fourth thing, and I'm done. I want you to recognize this morning that the gospel is still at work saving you. Once a person receives that message into our life, it's not just ancient history. It's not like a club you belong to. Oh, I got my lifetime membership dues. I'm in. Check. You know, it's good. Did you realize that God is saving you today more than you were yesterday? Look what he says. This is really significant. 
put, you may have failed English in freshman year in school, I don't know, but look carefully what he says. He says, this is the gospel in verse 1, I preached to you, there's a process here, I had it, I preached it to you, you received it, and in which you stand right now, and by which you are being continuously saved, if you hold fast to the word to which I preach to you. The gospel is still at work in our life today, saving us. Well, Sean, how is it that sometimes you talk about being saved and not saved? You see, we spend most of our time so often talking about that point at which we get saved, the point in which we receive Jesus in our life. And for many of you, there was a very clear point in time, defining point in time. I would say for most people that's true. For some of you, there was a season where you're exploring and you can't nail exactly that time and date down, but you crossed a threshold where you trusted Christ in your life and in your heart. And it's okay to speak of that as being saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from punishment, saved from all of that stuff that we read in Isaiah that would be upon you that thankfully now, once you trust Jesus, is transferred to Him and not to you. But there's also a piece in which that salvation is still coming your way freshly, day by day, new by new. You see, salvation is an event, but it's also a process. It's also, Sean, are you saying that I've got to get saved all over again because I've got sin in my life and I've lost it? No, that's not what Paul's talking about here at all. Not even close. What he's talking about is, is that the effect of that salvation that more and more your life is changing, more and more your life is experiencing. The Bible talks to us in Romans, as, a Bible, as Romans, as I said earlier, drills down into the gospel, says that the whole world around us travails and groans, awaiting for the full redemption, the full effect of that salvation. Guess what? We do too. We struggle with sin in our life, and we struggle with all of the things and the ramifications of sin. And the cool thing that I want us to recognize this morning is that when you think of the gospel, don't just think about something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Definitely think about that. Don't think about the message, the time and place in which you received it and you surrendered your life to Jesus. The gospel should be meaningful to you today, knowing that, that God is changing you and saving you even more. When you got up this morning, there's more salvation that God wants you to experience today than you had yesterday. It's not just God wanting to do cool things for you, God wanting to provide for you, God wanting to bless your life. All those are true, but God wants to save you even more. You don't need to go back and surrender your life in a saving way to Him, but more and more your life is coming under His authority and His obedience. And as you live that, you begin to experience those changes in your life. That's an exciting thing to me. That ought to be an exciting thing to you as you live your life to knowing that today that the God of heaven still has more in your, for you in store with your salvation. It's incredible. And the last thing and I'm done. And the gospel is not just something that saves us today and continues tomorrow, but it's something in which we stand. There's a, a firmness. There's a stability, a long-lasting I read uh, just an article recently that um, 
who's the guy that's in charge of Amazon? Is it Bezos? What is that the guy's name? Who's the head guy of Amazon? I got one nod, so it must be it. I don't keep up with all that, but it was an interesting article. But he told his employees, because it was a big deal, I guess their headquarters is now moving to New York City, or another one is there in some other place, maybe Virginia, I don't remember. And, um, and his employees, I guess, at this unveiling, whatever, this big announcement said, hey, what have you learned from like the closing of Sears and all these other big retailers? And he said, I, what I've learned is that Amazon one day will not exist. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, you know, for a company like that, some of you in the room just cried. You're probably like, oh, I got to go get my order out for Christmas before they shut down. And he went on to talk about all of that. Well, here, here's what I was trying to say. Our lives don't ever shut down. We will never go spiritually bankrupt. We will stand. We will stand the test of time. God's blessing is on our life. Let me read a passage in Jeremiah. And I've been doing my devotion in Jeremiah. And I think this speaks to at least one of the passages that speaks to this. Get the picture. This is for the, the feelers, the creative types in the room. The Bible says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Not that you just trust in Him, but your trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes. When the scorching heat and the drought come, it doesn't fear because its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. That's standing. See, what Paul is telling us is in a very quick nutshell, guys, when you know Jesus and you follow Him, you're like that tree. No matter what drought is coming your way, no matter what difficulty, when you've put your roots deep into God and your trust is Him, that you will still be standing in green. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world looks like. Now, for some of you, that means that you need to have a whole lot more hope in God than you do the political system in the U.S. I'm serious now. I'm, I'm serious. Should, it, should we be concerned about politics in the U.S.? Absolutely. Should we be chicken little, the sky is falling? Absolutely not. The world around us could be a drought and fall to hell in a handbasket. The Bible's promised us that we shall stand. Our hope's not built in who's in the White House or not in the White House. Our hope is built in Jesus. For some of you, the message you need to take is that, oh, wow, this says I don't have to be anxious. That God will take care of me. My trust and my hope is in Him. You see... Guys, what the Bible is all about from Genesis to Revelation is the gospel. God wanting to save us from our sin. And the life that he gives us now is a life of standing and of stability, of hope, of a future. And it's a life that we live that he continuously, wave after wave of grace, of his saving effect in our soul, every day in our lives. So for some of us as Christians, we forget that. We just act like we got our little card and we're on our way to heaven and something we did long ago. And we've forgotten that God's grace is still at work, changing in our souls. That should encourage us and challenge us. For some of you this morning, you've tasted and enjoyed the blessing and just the 
being around what God is doing in your life, and you're at that door, you're like at that door that gets open. Oh, I don't want to deal with my sin. And I want to encourage you that you can deal with that because when you face it, the amazing thing is, is that you don't have to face it yourself because Jesus faced it for you. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, take my yoke, my authority, like a, the yoke that would go over an oxen that would pull a cart. Take it on you. In other words, take my authority on you. Surrender your life to me. For my yoke is easy and the burden is light. And you shall find rest to your soul. So you can face your sin initially because as soon as you face it and admit it, the next thing you need to say is, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for that, that I don't have to stand on trial for that. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? I want you to be in charge. I don't want to live that life anymore. That's the gospel. It's not about what we do. It's not about a religious tradition. I don't care what church you were brought up in, didn't bring up in. I don't care if you were raised by wolves. I hope you weren't. But it's about Jesus and what he did 2,000 years ago for us. So I want to challenge you. Some of you in the room need to simply surrender your life to Jesus. Face that sin and face the reality that Jesus died for you and put your trust there. For others of you, you need to find hope in the future that you have a standing now. You are so secure in the palm of God's hand, there's nothing in this world that can touch you. Well, Sean, it can be a scary world. It can. But God is over all of that, guys. Bad things happen, for sure. But not so bad that God doesn't have you. Put your simple faith in Jesus who gives you a standing and a stability in Him. So whatever else, those two things, this next song, these next couple of songs really are our time to respond to Him. If you want to sit and pray, do it. If you want to sing, do it. If you want after, like, Sean, I know I heard, I just need to pray and surrender my life to Jesus. I still just don't know how to do that. Then catch me after the service. I'd be glad to talk more with you or text me or email me. Send a carrier pigeon. Wait, those are extinct, but send something. Passenger pigeons are extinct. Carrier pigeons aren't. Send a carrier pigeon. But I'll be glad to talk with you more. But this is what God wants to do in your life. So our team, come on up and lead us in this response time. Pray with me, though, as they come up. Father. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.